Well, grace, peace, and mercy be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Today we have the opportunity of continuing on in this Romans series, which I think has been very impactful. Uh, Romans was one of the books that Martin Luther really presented a lot of his time and efforts into sharing with people because it was so rich and so filled with the grace and mercy that God has given to us, especially as Christians. In fact, if we look at this book of Romans today, to put a little bit of context on it, it's important for us to know that Paul writes this letter to the people of Rome addressing the Christians that are there. He's not trying to necessarily convert anybody right at that moment. He is writing to them to be able to speak with the people who are already Christians in his coming that is yet to happen. You see, Paul hasn't been able, for some reason, to be able to get to the church in Rome. Sometimes when we see the letters, the the epistles within Scripture, Paul has already visited and he's writing a letter to follow up with them. But today, and when we see this letter, and for the next few weeks, all of this information is elements that Paul is sharing with the people in preparation for his arrival. So maybe that can put a little bit of uh, context on our text today, because even though it was shared with people 2,000 years ago, two millennia ago, it is still text that is shared with us today. It is still a message that we are given as Christians and challenged with that exact same element. What are you preparing your hearts for? What is God preparing you for, both as individuals and also for us as a congregation? What is God preparing us for? We should always be asking that question. Not what are we preparing ourselves for, but what is God preparing us for? What is his mission and ministry that he is putting us on today? Let's take a minute and back up just one verse this morning prior to the Romans text that was read for us. Uh, It puts a good uh, setup on this scripture that we have, and actually we'll come back to it in the the final verse. There's a phrase in there I want you to be able to see. It comes from Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Paul writes these words, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want you to focus on those, those two words today, in Christ. In Christ, Paul tells us. To be able to do one particular thing, it says we are to be dead to sin and alive to God. How do we do that? We have to be in Christ. Is that what our identity is made up of? Do we recognize that we are always called to be in Christ? Sometimes when we speak about God, or maybe even think about him, we may think about him as being this external element that is just around us. We are, we are surrounded by him. But today our text says that you are the one that is in this element, that we are in Christ, that this is how we find success of being dead to sin and being alive to God. There's something important about that. When one thing is inside Another. It's always the smaller element that we described in the English language that is inside a larger element. Uh, let me not confuse you. Let me share with you this morning, uh, like us being inside this church building. Uh, we are smaller than this church building. And so we would say that we are in this church. We would not say the church is surrounding us. The same thing with our congregation. We would say that our church is located 
in Scottsdale. That Scottsdale is located in Arizona. That Arizona is located in the United States of America. Uh, The smaller element is always inside. It is uh, capsulated by the other larger element. And so do we see ourselves being in Christ? Is that who our identity is? Not just a God who surrounds us, not just a God who is there, but are we actually found in him? Is that our identity? Let's review some of these verses that we have in our text for today. Paul says that it's good for us. He even mentions to understand these things. He says in human terms. He wants us to simplify that. So let's attempt to do that a little bit today. I know it's hard when we read these big sections of of Scripture to acknowledge everything that's in there. So let's look at a couple verses at a time today and see what is Paul truly telling us as Christians that we need to be prepared for today. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Paul writes, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. An interesting phrase that's, that's in there twice, once at the beginning of the verse, once at the end. Uh, instruments for unrighteousness and instruments for righteousness, Paul talks about. That word instruments in the original language referred to two different things. That would either be a tool or a weapon. A tool or a a weapon. An instrument is just that. It's something that can be used maybe in either case. Think of a laser this morning. We can use lasers to be able to burn to be able to break down, to be able to destroy something, can we not? We can also use lasers to be able to perform even the most delicate of life-saving surgeries. The same object, one used as a tool, one used as a weapon. And Paul says it's the exact same for you and I. That God has given us talents, that he has given us abilities, that he has given us means to be able to do one of two things, to live as being righteous or as being unrighteous. He doesn't control us. He allows us to act in either way. And today, Paul says, you are called to be righteous. You are called to be that hand, that tool that performs those life-saving surgeries, not the one that is to seek and to be able to destroy. But sometimes we do that. Sometimes even as Christians, We fail. We live lives that are slightly unrighteous. We sin, we do things we know we're not supposed to do. So Paul is saying, step from that old way of life. Move into the new way of life. Recognize what makes us righteous or unrighteous isn't who we are, but who God is. Just like a laser. What makes the difference? Well, whose hand it is in. If it is in the hand of a surgeon, it's very different than if it's in the hand of a novice that's trying to do something different with it. If we are found in Christ, what can he do through us? And so what then? When we recognize that, then what? Paul refers to that in his next verse, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 15. He even says those words, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means, he says. 
Just because you understand that in God's hand you are forgiven of all things, does this mean that we should sin? No, no, by no means, he says. I can only imagine that at that time, especially with the Jewish people who in all parts of their life were trying to figure out how they could work or earn salvation by following every law, It must have been something just uh, so revolutionary for them to be able to hear that we are saved because only of what Christ has done, because of his grace and his mercy. There was probably a concern that everyone who was a Christian, a follower of the way, would probably just do whatever they wanted to do at any time. Because if I am forgiven for whatever my sin is, why don't I just do whatever I want to do knowing that God is always going to forgive me? It would be chaos. But Paul says, no, you don't go on sinning. When you recognize that you are in Christ, that he is the one that is driving us, that is using us as that particular tool to share his righteousness, something different happens. It's not that we don't sin, we still do, every single one of us, but what we attempt to do is to be righteous in God, to step away from sin, to ask God when we need forgiveness, to ask others when we need forgiveness, to be able to share his love, to be able to live a life not for ourselves, but to be able to live a life that's in glory to him because of what he has done for us through his son. Paul expands upon this idea as he continues working through the text. Uh, Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. Paul writes, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin and having become slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. A few weeks ago, I saw an article about a man. Uh, His name was Jerry Lynn. Uh, Jerry Lynn lives in Pennsylvania, and Jerry was doing a project at his home. Uh, All he wanted to do, pretty simple project, he wanted to hang a TV on the wall, but he didn't want the cords hanging down in front of the, the drywall to look ugly, so he wanted to put them back in the drywall to come out the bottom so he can put them in the outlet at the bottom. He was using a battery-operated alarm clock to hold some of the wires when he was cutting the holes in the drywall, and all of a sudden he heard this thud. And he recognized that his battery-operated alarm clock that he had had fallen down into his wall. And unfortunately for Jerry, he had set the alarm clock, and so this alarm that was now set was down inside his wall. And sure enough, that night, the alarm went off. And it started with this little beep, 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 until a few minutes went by with nobody hitting it, and it's this roaring, thundering beep, 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 inside of his wall, driving him and his wife nuts. Jerry and his wife figured that since it was a battery-operated alarm clock, since the alarm would go through the duration, which is quite some time, and that since it was in the wall with nobody to shut off, it would probably die in a matter of three to four months. Uh, Well, it fell down in their wall in September. In fact, it fell down in their wall in September of 2004, and it's still going off today inside 
of their wall. I tell you that story because when I read the article and heard about that nonsense and looked at the final line, it stood out to me for our text for today. Listen to this, and I quote, The couple said for them, the alarm has simply become a routine sound that they hear every night. I can only imagine that first night that it went off how uh, infuriated Jerry probably was and how excited his wife was not that her husband was doing those projects in the house. But little by little, day by day, week by week, this annoying noise just became a routine sound for them. Jerry and his wife know that that alarm clock does not belong in their wall, but they have just left it there and have dealt with it, and it's just something that is part of their routine. You and I know that sin does not belong in our lives, but little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, we make excuses for our sin. We say that some sin maybe isn't as bad as the sins we see other people commit around us. Maybe our sin isn't hurting anybody, so it's really not that big of a deal. You know, our society says that this is something that is acceptable now, so shouldn't it be fine for us and for the church? We know that sin doesn't belong in our lives, just as we know that an alarm clock does not belong in a wall. But there's a danger of allowing it to just become this routine sound within our lives, that we become a slave to it. You see, when Paul uses that, fr- that phrase, slavery, it's not in the terms that you and I might jump to of somebody who is confined outside of uh, their ability and strength to be able to be freed. When Paul is talking about that sin, when he's talking about being a slave to God instead of being a slave to sin, we're a willing participant. This is us dedicating our lives to one or to the other. And Paul says, so we are called to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. We are to be a slave to him, that he is to take care of us, that we are to serve our master, that we are no greater than he is, as we heard within our text, but we are to be like him. And isn't that enough, that we are to be like him, but in the way that he has chosen for us to be righteous, for us to be glorified, not for us to be simply slaves to sin and choose what we think is best. Because when we are slaves to God, uh, we receive his mercy, we receive his grace, we receive his forgiveness. But when we're slaves to sin, just the opposite happens to us. Paul talks more about that as he continues. Look at verse 21 and 22. He says, But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? Talking about our sin. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Paul loves to use that uh, conjunction, but, he says. Uh, He says that a lot. But, uh, even when you sin, what fruit, what payment, what reward are you receiving? Sure, you can go on and uh, lie 
or hide something uh, from your spouse. But, Paul says, uh, what is the fruit of that? A damaged relationship? A broken marriage? Sure, Paul says, uh, you can at your work, in your place of employment, you can sugarcoat the things that you are giving to those around you, the product that you are putting out. You can fudge the numbers to hide something. But what is the end result of that? What is the result of your labor? That you have given somebody something that is faulty? That you've put your company at risk? Sure, you could go on gossiping about those who are around you, saying that it's something that you're just informing people of or sharing the truth. But, Paul says, what is the fruit of that? What does that do for that individual's reputation? What does it do for the kingdom as a whole, being able to grow it? With our sinful behavior, uh, I'll tell you the truth, there's times when there is a quick payoff, is there not? There's times when we can be sinful and we can gain something monetarily. We can be sinful and we can gain uh, physical satisfaction. We can be sinful and we can gain quick emotional satisfaction. But, Paul says, what is the fruit of that? What does that look like in the end? All those things lead to death and to destruction. They will all fade away. They will all rust. They will all be destroyed. But if we are found in God, if we are slaves to him, we are set free. That God gives us something very, very different. Cast those things aside. Focus on righteousness in our Lord. A gift that isn't just something so small or something so uh, timeless in this one little element of our lives, but something that goes on throughout eternity. A gift that Paul talks about in verse 23. Hear that gift now. Paul writes in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A few weeks ago, I had gone and uh, visited my parents in California, and I was reading uh, an article in the Orange County Register that I had seen about a man named uh, Marty O'Connor. He's 24 years old. He's a competitive volleyball player and a competitive snowboarder. Uh, He had graduated from Chapman University, and he was going on to get his MBA. Very successful, very intelligent, uh, very handsome young man. Uh, until one day, Marty had a really bad fall. He took down a flight of stairs, uh, and unfortunately the fall was so bad, uh, he was confined to a wheelchair. Uh, He was turned into a quadriplegic. It put all his plans on hold of going to Chapman to receive this MBA. He was feeling really down on himself and seemed to lose a lot of hope. Marty's mother, Judy, said that she decided she was not going to let her child fail in any way. And so Judy met with Chapman University and with her son, Marty, and they figured out a plan in which she could go through and take all the classes with him to help him out in every way. This means when notes needed to be taken in the class, uh, that Judy was the one that had to take the notes. It meant when... They needed to have a test. 
that through voice recognition software, uh, Marty had to figure out how to be able to tell his own mother how to take this test and put these answers down on paper for him. And so for four years, wherever you saw Judy on campus, you saw Marty as they went through these classes and every moment together. The article I saw had a picture of uh, <clears throat> the commencement day. And it was Judy pushing uh, her son, Marty, in a wheelchair uh, across the stage. The organizers of the graduation had uh, stopped everything when they came up there. And they, uh, for one of the first times ever, uh, presented an honorary degree uh, to Judy, to Marty's mother. And it simply read uh, that the article was to a parent who refused to allow their child to fail. Years ago, many millennia ago, you and I, as humanity as a whole, took a really bad fall. It was a fall that didn't make you and I quadriplegics, uh, but it was a fall that separated us from unity with our maker and with our creator. But God uh, refuses to let us fail. We have a parent that refuses to let us fail. So he sends his one and only son to this earth for us to experience all of these things that you and I go through, the prayers that we have on our prayer request that hurt us so much, the pains and struggles that you and I have, to know all of those things, and even just to sit with us when we need somebody to be there by our side. Christ comes and he gives us even more than that. He gives us his love, he gives us his forgiveness, and he even gives us his life. But, Paul says, but that is not the end. Jesus does not just give you his life. He gives you something so much more. He also raises from the dead and gives you that exact same promise. That through his works, that through his efforts, you too will graduate with honors from this life into the next. Knowing of the blessings that we have because we are made righteous by our Lord and what he has done for us. And so today, we celebrate people of Shepherd. We celebrate for the God that we have and the parent who refuses to let us fail. For the gift that he has given to us in God. A free gift that is given to you in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, sometimes it's easy for us, even day by day, to forget about the uh, gift of righteousness you have given to us through your Son. Our lives become so busy and so hectic, or our minds just wander from day to day. And so at this moment, Lord, as we open up and asking how you will prepare us, I ask that you will answer that in the hearts of every uh, man, woman, and child that is gathered here today. That you will be able to prepare us for whatever those great things are that you have in store. Not great by uh, the standards of men, but by the standards of you. And so continue to drive us as a congregation 
and as uh, individuals forward in this world, uh, being able to be bold to know that we do not sit in that despair and desperation forever, but that you heal all things, all wounds, whether that be physical, uh, emotional, or even spiritual, Lord. So do that for us this morning as we have the opportunity to continue to give glory to you in everything that we do and everything that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You and I have-